Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 10. And we are. Episode 10! I know, and I am here with my very excited colleague and podcast partner, Ollie Matu. Hello, Ollie. Hi, Conrad. And I'm here with the always nerdific H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well. So would you like me to talk about what we are talking about today? Yes, please talk about what we're talking about today. Well, it's a bit of a broad subject matter, and, and I will preface this whole episode by saying we could probably talk about this particular subject for a lot of hours, but we are going to limit it to one. Aren't yep. we, Ollie? <laughs> yeah. I'm yes, saying, we are. I'm saying that as more of a scolding of, of me, because <laughs> I think <laughs> I could probably talk about it forever. But without further ado, we are going to be talking about uh, culture reflected in comic books and graphic novels and things like that. Um, and, and, a a few, long, and a few different tangents, perhaps, I suspect. And a long-awaited uh, Infinite Crossover Chamber debate today. It's going to be Marvel versus DC. Um, as they relate to culture and comic books. Um, and we've got we got a cool top five today as well, right, Conrad? Yes, and our top five will be uh, each of what each of us thinks our top five social commentary in comics are. So um, I'm very curious to hear what yours are, Ollie. As always, I can't wait to not only hear yours, but then go out to my comic book store, Comicology, and then buy your recommendations. So I can well, I don't consume know. them. You don't know. We could have the same ones. That would be a magical mind meld. So, um, you know, let's start out broadly. Um, why do we even want to talk about culture in comic books? Well, I think that comic books and graphic novels have become such a huge format and a huge um, canvas, if you will, um, for a lot of different ways of storytelling. And... I just feel, you know, one of the one of the things that I definitely remember growing up, as as most people know, I have definitely a fondness for Wonder Woman. And part of why I really loved her was because there was this amazing, amazingly cool superhero that was a woman. And I identified I identified with that as a kid and I wanted to dress up like her. There's actual pictures of my sister and I dressed up like Wonder Woman together. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, I also understood a little bit more of some of the things Wonder Woman was doing. And, you know, while I, I fully support some of the things that were happening within the comics, which I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I don't know how this even made it through, quite honestly, to publishing. But, you know, there's a lot of misogyny there. Is, you know, she is she is not portrayed in a flattering light compared to some of her male counterparts. And, and then, you know, I also think that as I got older and, and certain comic books and storylines attracted me the most. And I would say that that was maybe why X-Men attracted mm -hmm. me a lot more than some other comic book series was because it just seemed like a little bit more, I mean, they were talking about a lot of obviously important issues, but their female superheroes were really cool. Yeah. Um, but, and powerful. And so it was it was there was really not a ton out there that I remember anyway, when I but, was when I was looking at these things as you, I was getting older. 
You bringing up Wonder Woman also makes me think about how wibbly wobbly this discussion is going to be a little bit because you can't talk about Wonder Woman without also talking about the Wonder Woman TV show. And you can't talk about that without also talking about how we haven't had a Wonder Woman film. And then you can't talk about that without talking about how Wonder Woman is now cast in the next Batman Superman film and how people have reacted to that casting and um, breaking down the the body of the actress uh, who's cast in that so i mean what i know i just like well you just took us down a huge rabbit hole <laughs> um well, no i, mean, I actually think the, we, the TV we show what was what was that like for you? well i mean the tv show because i was so young watching it you know a lot of people make they they always talk about how she's running around in a bathing suit and you know she's she's that's like a terrible thing that she's running around in a bathing suit but you know what i also think if you if you want to play devil's advocate and look at how some of the the male superheroes are portrayed with like the eight packs and and pecs and muscles and things like that, and there's obviously a lot of padding involved, especially in more recent films. Um, and nipples. I think and nipples. I think and that nipples. that is equally damaging in terms of of the the sort sort of body image issues that people might have and kids Absolutely. might have looking at the that. Hot- the hyper masculinity and the body, the expectations of what it means to be uh, to be male or female. Um, so it sounds like you had a mixed mixed reaction to the Wonder Woman. Oh no, I mean, and I, I can honestly say, as a kid, I loved her. I yeah. had I had a piece of rope that I would run around and pretend it was my <laughs> my lasso of truth. Um, I had I would constantly make myself um, bracelets to deflect bullets. Like I thought that she was super super cool. I'm not. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying. I'm saying that in retrospect, looking back at some of that imagery. You have to you have to wonder how that affects what kids were, were thinking watching it. I mean, I think just from from my perspective, she's still a hero of mine, yeah. you know, and she's still and and on TV. I loved her. I love the bionic woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Charlie's Angels. I love all these like women crime fighters, apparently. So. Yeah. Well, um, so in any case, I just think but she was pretty much it in terms of superheroes, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, it. For me, I think you're absolutely right about all of this. Um, comics are an incredibly important medium and a way of telling stories, and they're extremely popular. It, you know, when they first came out, there was a very niche audience that consumed comics, but that changed very rapidly. Well, and at this, at this point, it's a very mature um, medium for storytelling. Well, it's a very different medium than it was originally. I mean, you have to think about the world that comics were introduced into and what people thought of them. These were things that people discarded and scoffed at or not scoffed at, but they were kid things, you know, they were science fiction tales from outer space or, you know, even even stuff to do with the superheroes and things like these were adventure tales and and things like that. And, you know, there was some stuff going on even then. I mean, obviously, uh, Superman is there. There's some propaganda going on there. Wouldn't you agree? And absolutely. There's propaganda. Uh, and mean, people, he's he's the ultimate immigrant. There's he, that. He yeah. is. And but, you know, think about who created him. I mean, yeah. his creators were Jewish. They yeah. had suffered from a lot of anti-Semitism. And some of the things that they were writing about or or trying to put into these storylines were in the context of of the Great Depression and 
Um, you know, so he was very much like this, this hero fighting, fighting evil businessman and, and, you know, um, getting very angry about tenements that were, were just in disrepair. And you know what I mean? Like he, he was definitely this hero that was, and he was combating anti-Semitism and you know what? Wonder Woman is one of her main enemies are the, the Nazis. So, you know, you have, you have these characters and I think that the intention was definitely to make them almost, to make them gods. And I mean, Wonder Woman comes from, she's an Amazon goddess, basically. Yeah. Uh, her, she called Diana. So, um, well, and- you know, so there's all these, there's all these things that initially I think people didn't quite, they, they would see them, but they weren't really, adults weren't reading these. Or at least they weren't admitting to reading these. And that's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, So now it's actually, I would actually say that it's probably harder to find. They do have certain, both DC and Marvel have, have children's comic book series, definitely in the bookstore, your graphic novels and things have their own place and they're definitely in the adult section. You know, you're not going to want kids to see some of the things that are there. Um, You know, what comes immediately to mind is some of the walking dead. Um, issues and things like that. Um, but it's, it's not just the realm of children anymore. Yeah. It it makes me think, um, to some degree, there's a parallel with video games and how they've evolved over time and how they start out, started out in these penny arcades. And there were very, very simple type of, um, very simple types of entertainment that were designed to eat your, your coins. And as they evolved and the consoles evolved and they became more long form gaming. And now you have much more immersive storytelling and it's kind of a similar pattern of evolution where um, it's the only thing that sort of links comics together is that they're a visual form of storytelling. Um, However, there are so many genres, so many characters. And now with um, I was at WonderCon last year um, and I was on a panel um, talking about um, digital and print comics. And they said this is we're the only industry where print is up and digital is up. And um, there's been a resurgence of indie comics. There's been uh, there's so much you can consume and it's it's a hot industry right now. Not only is it a hot industry and a lot of people are 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 reading comics, but this topic of multiculturalism in comic books is it's really being discussed a lot. Um, um, There's a panel at San Diego Comic Con um, called the battle for multicultural heroes. And this is something that's been put together by Tony crazy for comic con is his, uh, nickname. And we'll put the link in the show notes, but he's really started this, uh, this national discussion, taking it not only at San Diego, but comic cons from across the country about, um, creating more diversity in our comics. Um, also a friend of the show, Josue Cardona on his podcast, he had an interview with Tony this past week, uh, which we'll put in the show notes, but this is something that's being talked about a lot. Well, and it should be. And I think part of why it is being talked about a lot is that you are seeing a lot of these classic characters and storylines being made into insanely successful blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. And while I'm very pleased that some of these stories are so successful, there are some like just glare. These are these are very um, these casts don't look like 
the world around us. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, certain things that are, I mean, you know, I love Joss Whedon and I think that he has done an enormous amount um, in television in movies and in, in comic books um, in trying to bring a lot more diversity and um, a lot more even handedness in terms of dealing with female characters to the table. And I think he's been very successful in certain pieces, but I didn't really feel that in the Avengers. Um, and I also think that it's quite suspect that we see these films all coming out and yet there isn't really one other than maybe Electra that, yeah. that shows, yeah. um, like a, a named a female, female lead. lead. Um, yeah. and that doesn't even get into issues of multiculturalism in terms no. of the casts. You know, and it, you were talking about uh, Wonder Woman for you and for me growing up, um, I was, the, I've talked, I talk a lot too much about Star Trek and how much, how important it was to me. The comic book parallel with Star Trek was X-Men. I loved X-Men. I was just, first a, com- well, what, what I was saying, just in terms of what I really, what resonated with me were these storylines because they were incredible storylines. And, yeah, and you had, you had teams with people from different backgrounds, whether it's Storm or Gambit or other individuals, and they came together, found a way to make things work and, um, um, worked for inclusion. And that idea was very, um, similar to why I like Star Trek, where you had different people coming together, trying to better humanity. And that's kind of what Professor Xavier was about. It wasn't really until I, um, probably late elementary school where some of this stuff became a little bit more apparent to me that um, people who look like me were not really in the comics that I was reading the TV shows I was watching, the movies I was watching. You know, I loved Star Trek. I loved Back to the Future. I loved Batman. I loved X-Men growing up. Those were my big things. Um, None of those things had anyone that looked like me. Anyone that, you know, had darker skin, anyone that whose parents were immigrants, anyone who was living in a bicultural type of environment. And, you know, we've all had some time in our life where someone judged us the basis on based on how we look. We all had some time in our life where someone corrected something about your gender. You know, I I remember growing up and being told many times, hey, hey, boys don't cry. You're not supposed to cry. You know, and we've all we've all had these experiences where um, whether it's a TV show, a comic or a movie just doesn't include a character or a story that is validating to us. And, you know, everyone needs a hero, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is. Everyone needs a hero to kind of look up to. Well, and a lot of people don't haven't had that. And it's role modeling, because what do kids want to do? The minute that they see these kinds of things or read these things, they want to dress up like these Mm -hmm. heroes or most kids do anyway. I know I did. (laughs) Um, But and so you have to think, you know, then why even now I think it's it's been slow. It's been very slow in getting certain storylines and characters to reflect the culture outside but as we were discussing a little bit before the show i don't think that this is just a comic book graphic novel issue Mm -hmm. i really don't um i definitely just see a dearth of of diversity in in television and in film 
And it's it's very upsetting that it's as slow moving as it has been. I mean, we have made great, great strides in that um, even in the last decade. But it just seems very, very slow to me. Yeah. And it's uh, you know, I think it's important to note, um, just like we were talking before the show, that when we talk about diversity, we don't just mean ethnic background, race and gender. We're also talking about religion. We're talking about socioeconomic status. We're sexuality. talking sexuality. We're disabilities. Talking, and yeah, and when we're talking about gender, we're not just talking male female. But right. there's there's a we know now that there's a whole range to gender and how gender is expressed and how gender is experienced. We know there's a range to sexual orientation. We know that um, that there are um, or age too different. Uh, seeing characters from different ages and different perspectives. And then there's the whole idea of intersectionality. You know, you want to talk about um, female heroes in comics and movies and TV shows. Well, what about women of color? Um, And what about um, gay males? And what about, um, you know, a transgender individual um, and the multiple ways in which gender is experienced? So uh, you're right. It's um, it's in all forms of media. And I also like what you talked about with modeling. You know, I, I worry I don't have any kids right now, but I hope one day to have kids. And I don't want to raise a son or daughter. Uh, well, I don't want to take my daughter to the story, toy store and, and have the only options available for her, this Pepto-Bismol explosion that oh, you see in yeah. Toys R Us. And I don't want to take take um, take a young young boy to the toy store. And the only options are these like hyper-masculine male bloodbath toys. Rah! Well, it's not just the toys. Um, recently, I, uh, I and I was happy to do it because he's so into comic books, but my nephew really loves superheroes. He specifically loves the DC Universe, and so he currently has a Batman costume, but I also got him a Green Lantern costume. And it was almost, and I honestly was not successful. I found him the least muscly costume that there was, but most of the boys' (laughs) costumes, and we're not talking, we're talking about a young kid here, like under four years of age. Um, These costumes are totally like made to look like the kids have very, very good weight training habits. And I was actually thinking that were it reversed and the female costumes, like the Wonder Woman costumes and some of the X-Men costumes that are out there were as reflective as this was of male physique, people would be in an uproar. And I also think that it's equally damaging. I mean, I do think that it's fun to dress up like a superhero. I don't know that you necessarily like I'm worried, you know, I am worried that this may create some sort of. Um, feeling that you have to look like this or that this is the only way to look to be a hero. And I get it. I get it. I get that it's in the comic books and things like that and that this is definitely portrayed in the movies. But I also think that, come on, you could let the kids just dress up in the in the outfit without making them look like like they're on roids, right? You're totally right, Conrad. And um, I think the modeling is important, the sexualization of females, the objectification of Females, the aggression that we see in males, the hyper masculinity, and it gets to it. Comics, as well as other media, it also has many lessons about how 
different people should relate to each other. I, ideas about what it means to be male, ideas about what it means to be female. And we see this, I think we see this play out in geek culture too. Um, the whole idea of the fake geek girl, right? That, um, that a lot of women at comic cons, they're just, they're faking it for attention or some purpose. The harassment that we see, um, of, uh, the harassment of women that we see at comic cons, Diana Foe will put it a, a link in the show notes, but she wrote this story about how she was harassed by this film crew at New York comic con. And that came out and all these, um, other individuals started sharing their stories about what has happened. The cosplay does not equal consent uh, movement and how um, a lot of people um, say many hurtful, harassing things to women at Comic-Cons who are dressed uh, in cosplay or they'll touch them inappropriately. And, you know, it, um, it, it, the way people are, are presented, how they interact with each other in all media and especially comics definitely has an impact on how things play out in real life. No, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I also think, and, and this was just my experience in terms of going and, and buying comic books and buying graphic novels, and still to some extent holds true. And I, I actually, I shouldn't have been, but I was a little surprised during our visit to um, Singularity and Co. when uh, CC uh, James mentioned that the large number of people that actually come in there are much older men. Mm -hmm. And they really don't get a ton of female readers. Yet, when I was talking to a lot of my friends, they were saying, we have to go there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and I just have often felt like a lot of comic book stores are not necessarily geared um, or or you just don't see a ton of women in there. I'm usually one of, it has changed definitely, definitely over the years since when I, since I first started well, reading comic books. And, and to be fair, I don't collect anymore and i go in when i'm you know it's it's more of a special occasion at this point i do i do read on um you know other media um but it, it's and it's fun to see that there are more women in those stores but it's still not i don't think it's reflective of how many women are actually into the into comic books i think you're right and i think one of the reasons too is in some of these environments a lot of um uh, prejudice sometimes is allowed and it, it, it goes unexcused. And um, I, I think a lot of these environments haven't really caught up to making um, the store or the, the convention or whatever it might be um, a comfortable, safe place for everyone. To, to well, come. you know, there's a little bit. Have you ever do you do you I don't I have a like total small knowledge of wine in any case. I don't think that you really are into that. So no. um, but there's this thing like if you walk into a wine store um, and it depends on the store, obviously, there are some where people are super snotty to you and mm -hmm. others where, you know, I, I totally own up to the fact that I don't have a broad knowledge of wine. Mm -hmm. And you're I'm, not a sommelier. No, no, I am not. <laughs> Neither am I. But, you know, on occasion, I will buy a bottle if we're having friends over or whatever. And one of my favorite stores is one where the people come approach you and they're very friendly and they were like, oh, let's what 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 do you like to drink? And what what are, what's the flavoring that you like? and Whatever. And some of, and likewise, some of my favorite comic book stores do the same thing. 
Um, Midtown Comics is very approachable. Um, Love there, and they are. They're very friendly there, and I don't think it's. I I think it's intimidating in how large it is. <laughs> and for me, <laughs> it's like being a kid in a candy store. Like I can't take all of this in. But I think that it's not as intimidating as other stores I have definitely been into in the past, which I will not name. But yeah, um, there, it used to feel like oh my gosh, what is she there's doing a lot of, in there's here? Good, <laughs> there's good places there. St. Mark's Comics is one of my favorites too in New York, and. Uh, I was just there a few weeks ago and so much of their staff is uh, female and everyone there is super nice, super approachable. And when you talk to them, they all have such a deep knowledge Mm -hmm. of comics and they can tell you so much. And, you know, you're talking about modeling and there's representation, too. If you look at if we look at um, I'm I'm sure you know about the Bechdel test about um, it's basic test of female representation in movies and TV shows. And the test is about number one, is there a female character? Number two, is there another female character or does a female character talk? And then number three, are there two female characters that actually end up talking to each other? It's basic test of representation. And most comic book based movies fail it. Now, many non-comic book movies fail it too, but especially a lot of the stuff that's based on comics does not pass this test. And Sweden just implemented um, a nationwide way of rating movies that's going to incorporate the Bechtel test. And so uh, all the stuff that we love, whether it's Avengers, whether it's the amazing Dark Knight trilogy, uh, and the list goes on and on, most of it would get a failing rating when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, represent diverse representation. Well, and I was also just in, in thinking about this whole subject matter, was, you know, there was a very long time ago, and, and I know I've brought up Buffy a few times, but I remember watching this and I had a conversation with somebody who didn't understand why it was necessary to have a gay relationship on the television show. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those conversations where I was like, okay, I can I can take this and and maybe show them like this point of view <laughs> and part of what came up it came out of this conversation and what i said was look you know i know you live in the northeast and and you know that you have gay friends and and you know that these relationships are out there but think about people who don't know that necessarily and at this time this was a huge groundbreaking thing for them to do on television Um, was to have this lesbian relationship and not just be a relationship, but a relationship where they were showing affection to each other. They were making plans for the future together. You know, this was a very big deal. And um, a lot of people point to that as something that um, friends of mine that came out later on point to that as something like, oh, you know, this was so great seeing myself reflected. And it reminded me of what you were saying about the comic books. Um, and that's why I think it's important that media and comic books and all these things reflect these, these different perspectives in our society, because I think that that's part of what makes our society so wonderful. And it's what moves our society forward. Uh, We know how to overcome stereotypes and prejudice. You, you need knowledge about a, uh, a, a, a group that you are previously prejudiced to. You need contact with that group and, and you need to develop empathy for it. And you're talking about gay relationships on TV. One of the, the, the change in 
attitudes towards gay people in America in the last 15 years has been one of the fastest moving social issues in our entire history. And one of the reasons for that is how um, media has, especially television, has changed our perceptions of gay people. And um, it's fantastic to see those changes. Um, when it comes to comics, we've got a few gay characters here and there. But it's but not. You, it's not prevalent it's across not prevalent. The, the medium at and all. One, no. And one of my biggest criticisms is you don't get to see gay characters fall in love you don't get to see those relationships. You don't get to see them be just normal. It well, just sort and of- there was this huge, I don't know if you saw any of this, but there was this huge debacle recently um, where Batwoman is oh, not allowed to, and it, it's very upsetting. So it's a very upsetting, it's, it really so you, feels horrible. Um, can you uh, tell our listeners what happened? Um, well, I'm sure if they are following any of this, they know. But basically... Um, Batwoman is is gay and she has this um um she has a, a steady relationship and hang on one second because I need to make sure I have the uh have the character name right because I cannot remember the name of her her lady friend. Um so okay, so Batwoman, her fiance is Maggie Sawyer. They've been engaged and basically they got engaged within one of the, the the story arcs and basically DC said that their wedding couldn't happen within the DC universe and put the, put the kibosh on it. Uh, they lost some of their creative team. Um, and then DC gave a very lame excuse about why this couldn't happen. <laughs> they basically said that Batwoman is too dedicated to fighting um, fighting injustice and all, you know, all the people in the Batman family, they just don't, they're just not somebody that's going to get married. And I think that this was a really lame response, especially given some of the other things going on with DC. Um, so it was, it was really not, it was, there was a lot of outrage over this. And, um, it, I think it's important to note also that that Batwoman series was very critically acclaimed, very beloved. This was a really, um, uh, this was a jewel in DC's um, sort of repertoire of comics, and um, they 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 messed it up. And you know, so it's it's about representation. And then I mean, we we also have to bring up just the stereotypes we've seen. A lot of times, when there are diverse characters in comics, they they uh, they go so they they handle it so poorly. They're, they're <laughs> it's, so, it's like okay, we it's, got we it makes, an Asian character. Let's it, make him kung fu themed. You know, okay, it gives me a- it gives me like contact embarrassment. Like there there you found a couple of links sort of of the worst the worst offenders in this. And I oh. do remember a couple of these storylines and thinking this was like the weirdest thing I've ever read. <laughs> oh, my God. That um, was so, so bad. Um, you know, you've got. Um, all right. We need a black character. All right. So he's going to have to talk in jive every other word. Right. Um, we're going to we're going to have to have. um uh, I don't, I, yeah, it's, um, so the Asian characters tend to be these kind of Kung Fu characters. Um, you might have, uh, a native American character, but they're really mystical and have all these other power. It's, it, it kind of tips in that direction of stereotypes. And, 
um, that really sucks. Well, it does. And it's also, I think one of the things that just irks me so much about this kind of, this kind of treatment in comic books and not just comic books, other media too, uh, people will say, oh, wait, but you have that one gay character or we did yeah. that one storyline, the, the but it's not even done well or realistically or lovingly. Um, and, you know, I actually have you seen the movie Frozen yet? No, no, it's on my list. Um, I so want to see it. Um, I'm going to get a little spoilery here. Is that OK? Uh, mm. Not spoilery enough that it'll ruin it for you, but enough that there were some issues that I had with it. Can we save that for an episode on oh, Frozen? Wait. Sorry, no, I don't want to do an episode on Frozen. But, okay. <laughs> um, I will say enough. Uh, I'm going to say that basically a lot of people have said because this film does not end in a wedding that it's feminist and that. There are certain things that happen within this film make it feminist. It is not feminist at all. Huh. Um, okay. I won't go into spoilers for your sake, but overall, I don't feel that this is what's going on with these characters. And I was a little bit when I heard all these sort of I, these I read these articles and I heard these everybody raving about it. I was like, oh, this would be great. And I won't deny there's some very catchy tunes and, and there's some some cute storylines and cute things that Disney does so very well. But I would not say that this is what a lot of people are purporting it to be. Well, and so if you have stereotypes, if you have not only does it stereotypes in these kind of stories, not only do they promote stereotypes and people tend to think oh okay well that's that's what black people are like they talk and jive or you know all asian characters are do kung fu but there's also been a lot of research to support this idea of stereotype threat mm-hmm. um which is b- very basically um if there are stereotypes uh for example um women can't do science and if that stereotype is created in some context where a person becomes afraid of fulfilling that stereotype, performance plummets. So if you have the stereotype that women aren't good at science and you're in some type of science task and you're worried that you're going to fulfill it, you don't do as well. And, you know, the the other thing here that I'm also thinking about, like why this is so, because a lot of times people might be like, okay, well, okay, big deal. We got to be politically correct. It's not necessarily about being politically correct. This stuff has a huge impact on people's lives. We were talking about the, um, you know, the, the bodies that we see in comics. And there's been a lot of research about how unrealistic body images impact men and women, more research on how it impacts women and how opening up a beauty magazine, your self-esteem plummets. Um, there's a, a, a landmark study on the Fiji islands. Have you, have you heard of this one where basically, um, uh, they had some long-term data on women in Fiji islands and their body types basically looked at, um, uh, the community there before ma- they had mass media and then after mass media was introduced and before there was no problems with eating disorders or no um, body Im- body size and body image was normal and then after the introduction of tv and western tv the the rates of eating disorders increased and people started developing these uh, these problem body images. And we see this in comics as well. Uh, there was a recent study that looked at the body mass index of Marvel superheroes. And they found that um, 
a third of the female characters um, were, uh, well, all the female characters were either unhealthy BMI or incredibly low well, body as, mass. As much as you can determine based on a drawing. <laughs> as much as you can determine let's put it on that. that. But the interesting thing but I found but about... none of the men were. Yeah, none of the men but were. I would point out that all of the men look like they're on steroids and yep. that yep. level of muscular... Um, physique like show, showing for for a man to get the, to that level even when you see men in superhero hero films or films where they've had to work out incredibly to get that crazy abdominal I'm thinking the 300 that's the first ab film oh. that came to mind and the things that they had to do this is not a sustainable way to be and it's also not a healthy way to be. Like when you see actors do this, they are they are training heavily forever, like not forever, but, you know, for like almost a year, probably before they actually start filming um, these when they're in these roles. And then after they are not doing this as much, you know, yeah. so yeah. It's, it's an unrealistic it's, goal that you can't achieve. And I'm not saying like, you know, definitely strive towards being healthy and that's great but not and also there are many different body types and yes it's a comic book they're superheroes and a lot of people will say well it's an ideal and they say the same thing with fashion magazines too and so i will give them a little bit of a pass to some extent but i have also seen some of the most outrageous female costumes that barely cover anything in, well, in certain things and same thing for the men speaking um, of that have you seen the hawkeye initiative have I seen what? The Hawkeye Initiative. I have not. It's, oh, okay, so we'll put this in the show notes. It's, um, so if you go to the website, thehawkeyeinitiative.com, what they basically do is take these, um, take common female comic book character um, poses and outfits, and then they have an image right next to it where they draw a male superhero like that. So um, you have you have these really scantily clad female heroes and then they'll put like Wolverine in that same pose. Um, uh, well, there is, there's another similar thing, uh, somebody, and I will try to pull this up for the show notes. Um, so there is this, um, there is this way that a lot of female superheroes are posed or characters are posed, um, w- within comic books. And basically it is so you can see, their chest as well as their posterior at the same time yeah that and they did that with the avengers poster yes scarlett johansson um and there was somebody and i have to find i want to give i want to give credit where credit is due but somebody did this basically to try to show that it just couldn't be done it was a very funny (laughs) article um that that just showed how insane it was to be showing people posed like this and totally unrealistic. Um, So, uh, and basically the whole, the whole thing is that showing a person's body contorted in this way, basically your spine would have to be broken. (laughs) Unless possibly if you were contortionist, you can't get more unrealistic than that, you know? Um, And so I think we should also talk about why this exists and you can't talk about the why and why the story, why there are so many rigid representations. Like we, we know that rigid representations are bad for everyone involved, but like why does it exist? And that really, I, for me, I think it's about privilege and power. 
and what voices have been empowered and what voices have been silent. Um, it makes me think of the story of Bill Finger, um, the, uh, the uncredited creator of Batman. Um, he is, you know, everyone credits Bob Kane for creating Batman, but Bill Finger is a guy who basically came up with, uh, his costume, Robin, Batmobile, the Batcave, Joker, um, and he never received credit for it. And similar to that, um, you know, not only is there power in terms of who gets credit, but there's power in terms of who's even at the table, um, you know, you, you mentioned Wonder Woman. There's really only been one long-term female author of Wonder Woman, and that was Gail Simone. Um, and there's a, a great article by Comics Alliance about uh, 10 diversity resolutions for superhero comic books in 2014. And they mention, uh, quote, to the best of our knowledge, the only non-white writers currently working at, on any Marvel or DC comic book are Greg Pak and Francis Menopoul and uh, Felipe Smith. So like three people. There's only uh, two openly LGBT writers. Um, and then DC and Marvel say that there's eight superhero titles written by women, but that's only eight out of both companies. Well, you know, and it's also, you know, there was at the, the New York Comic-Con this year, there was a uh, women in comics panel which had some of those writers and uh, Becky Cloonan was on there and she's written some of Batman and, and just a variety of things. Um, Amy Chu, Erica Schultz. Um, and, you know, there they were basically one of the points that um, Becky Cloonan made was that 40% of the people attending Comic-Con were women, but only 6% percent of the speakers who had been invited to do panels were women six percent that's what she said i i would like to i would i don't doubt that actually but I mean, that's but it but you know that there's obviously a problem here she's been very vocal about a lot of this and she's yeah. been very vocal in a very cool way um you know she's she's pretty amazing um but you know, so there's definitely you you hear a lot of arguments that well, men read comic books, and that's obviously not true. Um, I mean, yes, men read comic books, but there's a much broader audience, and what some people say is that the reason why they aren't reflecting this diversity within the storylines and within the books and within the drawings is is because and who's writing them is because they want to sell the most and they're trying to sell the most to this demographic well, and of gets, men. And then that's, you know, and they don't have time to focus on anything new and on anything revolutionary. And this gets to the whole idea of society has changed and some of these companies haven't really kept up. Um, so, yes, back in the days, most of the people who read these were boys and then men but that's not where society is now there's been tremendous change uh, uh socially in in the past few decades and uh, you know some people still think that um the majority of people who read these are men and that's not true no. you know we have women in combat situations we have women in leadership situations we have men who are the primary caregivers at home we know sexuality and gender are not binary anymore but still, for so many uh, forms of media, the people who get invited to write, to illustrate, to act in 
um, are this narrow segment of the population. When, you know, the population is going to become majority ethnic minority is how we define them now in just a few years. You know, Latin Americans or Latino Americans, I'm sorry, are going to become the major major ethnic group. So these changes are happening and have happened. Um, and but, you know, we can't let the fans off the hook, too. You know, there. So when when (laughs) I was just about to say, no, we can't. And uh, there is one. I don't mean to keep bringing this back to Wonder Woman, but it feels like it is. Um, But there was this basically a, a suggested redesign of Wonder Woman's costume a short while ago. And fans went crazy because they had put Wonder Woman in pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading about that. And, you know, I didn't. Which is just let's just let that sink in. Fans went crazy in terms like meaning mad because they put they wanted to put Wonder Woman in pants. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's insane. I'm going crazy thinking about that. But, yeah. you know, so I, I definitely think that there is there is a responsibility here on, on a couple of different levels. But I think unless you're going to unless you see this happening from the top down, it's not going to be embraced as quickly. And, and maybe it won't be embraced initially, but it should be. I think yeah. every, I think every kid should be able to identify with a character in a comic book. Totally. And you know, a hero it, character, not not like some crazy subversive character, even though I love those subversive yeah. characters too. Well, and, but. and you know, and you like for example, you got if you're gonna do trans a transgender character, don't make their superpower their ability to change gender left and right. Make it about the <laughs> what story. What could you of, possibly be referring to? I know. I know. <laughs> that will be in the show notes, folks. Um, <laughs> but you know, it reminds me of this article I wrote about um why people acted the way they did when they found out Ben Affleck is playing Batman and people get really invested in the characters they love and they have a hard time seeing change there, whether it's, um, um, Idris Elba getting cast as a North, as a Norse God in Thor or like, you know, that character's not black. That's not okay. Danny Glover, another black man saying that he wanted to play a black Spider-Man and people reacting against that. Well, Spider- even not even just in, in this type of thing, but do you remember, I don't know if you recall, but in the Hunger Games, the character um, that um, Katniss befriends, mm-hmm. um, that was cast, uh, it was a beautiful little girl who was cast in the role and why I don't know the Hunger Games that well. Um, but... She um, got like hate mail and hate tweets and whatever for being cast in it because they said it couldn't be an African-American girl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, and you're talking about people unloading hate on a kid? Like, totally crazy. And, you know, the author, to her credit, said nothing. Nobody ever talked about race in these books. Yeah. You just are making assumptions. You know, and that's that's the thing about this is. You know, there was a lot of controversy with the new um, Ultimate Spider-Man when they made him a half black, half Latino teenager. There was a lot of controversy when these character, you know, this um, um, Orion Martin, he kind of redid some X-Men um, comics um, as if they were all people of color. And there's a lot of controversy <laughs> with that. And um, the the author of the, the film adaptation of um, 12 Years a Slave, John uh, Ridley, he, um, he's he been um, involved in comics. And one of the things that he says is, look, you know, 
people know these characters, Superman, Batman, then Spider-Man, they know their origins, they know their stories, and there isn't much room to mess around with these major characters because there's backlash from the comic book company and there's backlash from fans. It's uh, hard to change that. I have a problem with that in that everybody knows the universes can be created or recreated again exactly. and again and again. This and you know what? All Ev- the time. And every huh. single comic book has done this with yep. the exception of Watchmen and Sandman, because those were just, they started and they ended and that was that. Although Sandman, huh, I should, I should pause there because there's been, some sort of retro releases, but they still didn't mess with the initial storyline. Um, but yeah, that to me is a ludicrous argument. You know, we've had, we have the new 52, right? Uh, for DC, every character in DC has been relaunched. And yeah. And I was actually really hoping to see some of the things that we've been talking about in that, because they had such an opportunity to do that with the new 52 and it feels like they've not really done a lot at all. Well, and the, the thing that frustrates me about that is not only is multiculturalism good for fans and having diverse stories, good for fans, but it also seems to be good um, for the bottom line. There, there was a study that came out of, um, from UCLA about how um, they looked at a year of television on cable and network and found that more, more diverse casts, and more diverse writers related to better ratings. And Fox has invested a lot in trying to create more diverse programming. And the new Miss Marvel has been a huge hit. It completely sold out. They needed Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. You know, there's, uh, it, it gets, to me, it all comes down to the quality of the characters and the storytelling. Well, right. Char- and have you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at all? I have. And, you know, it's kind of nice seeing what a diverse cast they've put together, even though it's not as diverse as I would like, but it's much more so than you have seen. And, and you know, some of the cooler characters are are diverse. And yeah. this is, you know, Joss Whedon is an executive producer, but I have to say, like, I would like him to push this a little bit more. And I love Walking Dead and I love how diverse that show is. Right. And even the zombies are diverse, <laughs> you know? I mean, Although, you know, they do have a lot of commentary, especially earlier on in The Walking Dead. I mean, yeah. that speaking of social commentary in comics, yeah. Walking Dead has an awful lot of that going on throughout so, the series. You know, there's good, there's some good stuff happening, Walking Dead, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., although I have problems with some of the stories in uh, oh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I do as well. I just think, you know, there's... A lot of interesting things I like about it. It's grown on me. I think it's getting stronger, but I will. I thought that the first half was weak, the first half of the season. Yeah, you know, I think when you get diverse writers and diverse illustrators and diverse stories, not only does it help fight prejudice and stereotypes and it helps create more of a tolerant and inclusive world, but these are better stories. I find stories about people from... Um, different aspects of life that I know nothing about really interesting. And when you have different characters from different backgrounds coming together, that makes for a good story. So I don't think there's anything you lose. I don't think you lose anything by creating more diversity. I, I think it's a, it's a complete win. I agree with you. And I also, but I also think you've pointed out something very important, which we've touched on a couple of times here, is that part of it is getting the diverse writers and artists in there. 
Yeah. Because, you know, they're going to be, there is a dearth within the comic book world. And um, there's also a dearth in Hollywood. And I just think that that's a problem. And it's an ongoing issue. I think it's slowly evolving. Um, Hopefully it will evolve a little bit more quickly. Well, that... That makes me think of uh, how these franchises or not franchises, but these different worlds have changed and some attempts to make some positive movement forward. Maybe this is a good time to get into the crossover chamber. Okay, let's do it. Let's hear it. Now entering the infinite crossover chamber. So what are we crossovering today? Well, we're crossing over. (laughs) Sorry, I just totally flipped us around, but you know what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the Infinite Crossover Chamber today, um, we have DC Comics versus uh, Marvel Comics. And the question is, um, which company has uh, better... um, Wait, what's our question? Our question is, which company has um, created more diverse stories? Well, I, I I think this is going to be a very short crossover chamber. <laughs> All right, well let's let's find out. I think I think DC Comics has made a lot of strides in getting some characters um, like top billing. I mean, we mentioned Batwoman. Um, there's you know. Um, there are a few storylines now within DC Comics that I would consider diverse, but um, but I feel overall that Marvels have been more consistent and have been doing this for a lot longer, and specifically with X-Men and, and those kinds of storylines. I think Marvel has generally been a little bit stronger on that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, it, but, it's- but I will tell you overall, I don't think either is good (laughs) so it's it's, a tough crossover today it's a tough crossover for me because even if we're not if we're backing up and not talking about diversity it's hard for me to debate marvel versus dc because so many of the comics i read and continue to read are marvel Mm -hmm. however my favorite superhero character is batman and my favorite one of my favorite graphic novels is watchmen which in those both are from dc um but you know i think the data doesn't lie um there's a an article that we were alluding to earlier which is from cracked uh, crack.com which is six hilariously failed attempts at making comics more diverse five of the six are dc Mm-hmm. And they're really bad. They're terrible. They're terrible from uh, Vibe to Connor Hawk to Dr. Fate to Extreno. These are really, really um, bad, uh, prejudiced, stereotyped characters. If you look at um, um, if you look at the Batwoman issue, if you look at Marvel promoting female scientists, did you know hear about this how they were pairing up um uh, middle school and i think college aged uh young women um with female scientists um to become their mentors to help them get into science and this was all tied around the thor 2 release um and the x-men universe is filled with such diverse characters marvel has changed some of the objectified costumes for Psylocke, for Captain Marvel, for Scarlet Witch. I love the new Captain Marvel um, 
uh, to redesign, here. which by the, the way, my friend Jamie McKelvey did this great illustration that pops up in a couple of these articles of Captain Marvel. And I, I think she looks fantastic. She looks amazing. Um, I love it. And, you know, I, I also think I will I will own up to the fact that the recent the DC response to the Batwoman marriage upset me tremendously. Oh. So that is also part of why I am I am solidly in i feel like marvel's been proactively trying to do more to change what's yes. been happening and yep. they're also more willing to talk about it and yep. dc's answers um you know have generally been very thin or non-existent um and in fact again at this this year's comic-con um in new york basically there was this whole uh, there was a panel and they got um, a lot of questions about, um, you know, they got a lot of questions just just in general and, and they answered them. But it's like, I don't know, I feel like the DC folks aren't willing to to kind of really talk about why their comics aren't diverse. They just get very... Yep. Awkward and defensive. And I get it. I get it if you're on a panel and somebody like asks these questions and they're they're really aggressive and why you might get upset by that. But I also think you should be prepared to answer these questions because they're going to come up. And this is what Marvel said at New York Comic Con. They said uh, the Marvel VP, the one of their vice presidents, quote, there's always room for more. There's always room for further diversity. Uh, no matter where you happen to sit within the cultural zeitgeist, it's never mission accomplished. It's, it's always what's next. Um, there's always going to be somebody who's underrepresented, or you could represent that more truthfully or more affectionately. Marvel is doing a lot more, and you're right, they're not perfect, but um, you know, when, we'll put this in the show notes. Comic Book Hoedown did um, kind of a review of all the characters out there in DC versus Marvel, and what they said is Marvel blows away DC on race, DC wins on GLBT representation, and Marvel noses out on gender. But if you look at it more deeply and how the characters are portrayed, the costumes, the outfits, the relationship, it all goes towards Marvel way. And they both have a lot more work to be done. Like I, I want to see, um, I want to see a flagship transgender character from both. DC and Marvel that really needs to happen this year. So a lot more needs to be done uh, in both, but I, I have a hard time defending DC on this. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, oh, we should also well, point out that there are other comic book shops too. It's not just oh, a yeah. DC and Marvel thing, but we won't go into that into the crossover chamber, but Dark I have to, I, I have to come out on, uh, on the, the Marvel side. And I think you're probably there too. Yeah. One thing I will say about Marvel, um, their movies are not keeping up with their comic books. Agreed. In terms of diversity. Um, they really need to include um, much uh, representation of more diverse characters. They need more women um, there. And they've done better than DC in terms of women. There's no Wonder Woman movie. Yes. Um, however, um, we need more diverse characters in the Marvel movies. They're, they're doing such a cool job with their cinematic universe and weaving characters in and out. And yeah, they Sam Jackson um, as Nick Fury. Awesome casting. You know, um, I th I think in, in general, Scarlett Johansson has been pretty good in, in the Marvel Universe as well. But we, they need a lot more, especially given how far advanced the comics have come um, over the last few years. All right. I think we I think that's solid. 
You ready to to leave the chamber? Uh, Let's leave the infinite crossover chamber. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't think of anything. I was going to I was going to I was debating between doing some type of Wolverine impression, but then I I, I blanked. And so I just kind of came up with that. Cool. Um, are you ready to go? I think I'm ready to talk about top fives with you because I can't wait it. any longer to hear what your top five are. Let's do it. So we got top five social commentary comics. Uh, my number five is not going to be a surprise to you. Um, oh, I it, can't imagine what it may be. Go for it. <laughs> it's 2014's Miss Marvel. Um, this uh, written by uh, G. Willow Wilson. Um, this is the first... One of the no, no, the first time ever where I opened up a comic book and I felt like I was reading stories that I experienced in my life. Now, I haven't developed superpowers and all of that, but um, the story is about Kamala Khan, a um, an adolescent Pakistani American Muslim girl growing up in New Jersey. And there's a frame where she's on her computer writing fan fiction about Avengers and looking at like how people are commenting on her fan fiction. And her mom wakes in and goes, come on, it's time for dinner. She's like, yeah, yeah, hold on. There's just, there's this really big debate happening right now on bleedingcool.com, And I just, I need to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And the mom's like, I don't understand why you read this stuff. And just that, that was like so many moments from my childhood and how the, how this, there's only two issues out right now, which is why I made it number five. Um, that was but, actually not my number five too. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool. So Only got, because I it was it was a bit about what we have been talking about, just in terms of having characters that people could identify with, and I was actually thinking the same thing. Like her conversation with her mom was very similar <laughs> to something I would have, and I was like, I would have loved to have read this, you know? Oh yeah, and it's not just something that like if you're from a Pakistani background or uh, you come from an um, immigrant parents or any of that. It's it's just a good story about what it means to grow up and feeling like you're different. But and it, I it think, was nice seeing that she came from a different background, though. Absolutely. I loved yeah. that. I won't, so. won't argue with you on that one. All right. Um, well, so, so check it out. It's an active, ongoing comic right yep. now. Pick it up. Um, number four, then, uh, my reveal is a comic, a graphic novel called Marzi. Um, and Marzi is, um, it came out, I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe, uh, 2011 and it's, uh, Vertigo Comics and by Sylvain Savoya, who was the illustrator. And basically Marzi follows, um, the story of a little girl who was born um, a decade before communism ends in Poland. Mm. And there's just a lot of commentary about um, her experience and how it colors her world and why she's afraid and the different horrible things she has to go through. Um, There's another comic it reminds me of, but it's also in my top five. So I'm going to hold off saying that, (laughs) but it's an interesting read. It's definitely not a light read, although she is. It, it's very well illustrated, but I do recommend it. Um, cool. And That'll I be should, on my download list. I should mention that my friend Moira had recommended this to me, and uh, she was absolutely right. <laughs> Hopefully it's in Comixology, because I'd like to pick that up. Um, I have a copy if you'd like to borrow it. Okay, cool. Um, my number four is um, from X-Men, um, but 
it's a little different than most X-Men stories. It's X-Men Magneto Testament. No, it's um, not. Yeah, it is. Are you, is it on yours? Yes. What number? Uh, that is number two for me. Wow. Okay, cool. So uh, we are having some mind melts here. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with this story, it's Magneto's origin story. And it really goes into what happened when he was a young boy, when he was um, uh, when he was in a Jewish ghetto, um, Auschwitz. Um, this is during the World War Two. It's during the Holocaust. And it's you know, if you're talking about social commentary and history and the importance of having different voices represented, it really does walk through that really dark time in our history and what the inhumanity that happened um, um, uh, that happened in this world. And it it gives you a view on the character and how his later life, why he might be doing some of the things he does. It's um, it's also beautifully illustrated. Um, yeah. What, what did you think of it? No, I thought it was a very um, deep look into certain aspects of Magneto's life. And I, I, part of why I had it on my list is that the story really resonated mm. and it, uh, and you're correct. It is beautifully illustrated as well, but that wasn't why I picked it necessarily. So, but I guess, so that was your number. My number four. four. Okay. Yeah. Um, so number three, what was your number three? So I wanted to pick a daredevil um, story. And the reason for that is he's one of the only superheroes out there who also has a disability. Uh, he's blind and he's a, a blind um, superhero. Um, and I think that's really important for that representation to be there. And uh, one of my favorites is Daredevil Legends Volume 2 Born Again. Um, and it's it's a Frank Miller written uh, Daredevil. So Frank Miller's awesome. He's done a lot of great comics. You might know uh, listeners might know about his work um, in the Batman world. Um, and um, he did Batman uh, uh, year one. Right. Um, my. Am I right on that? I think so. Um, it's it's a great story. Uh, the social commentary aspect here is um, how we really it weaves in stories about prostitution, uh, uh, pornography, uh, drug addiction, uh, U.S. military intervention abroad. Um, and it does so in a, um, you know, in a, in a way that's not cheesy and not just having the at there for for that reason and frank miller does some of this in batman the dark knight returns as well um but it's um it's a cool daredevil story so if you haven't picked it up try it check it out okay and so my my number three was the one that reminded me a bit of marzi <laughs> um <laughs> and it's a similar i i don't want to be like the super serious but these are the ones that just came to mind um but um uh, Persepolis is the one that I was thinking of. Oh, uh, it's my number one. Ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, um, well, so obviously you know what it is about. Um, but our listeners might not. All right. Why don't you talk a little bit about it? Because it is your number one. So I, I, I don't want to take steal your thunder. Well, it's um, 
it's an autobiographical novel um, written by, I might, I hope I say her name right. It's um, Marjane Stroppy, I think. Um, um, hopefully I said that right. But it's, you know, what's, what's interesting about it, not only, again, it's beautifully done. I think the art is beautiful. And it was also turned into a film um, a few years ago. Um, I haven't seen the film yet, but um, I hear it's also beautifully done. Um, but it's an autobiographical novel about uh, this woman's childhood growing up in Iran and what happens to her after the Islamic revolution there. Um, and, you know, you've got social commentary and all of that, but it's, um, it, I think autobiographical stories like this, and especially about someone in a region that many people in America might not be familiar with and might not be familiar with the events that go around there. That's, that's an important story. And this makes that story very, um, easy to read, easy to understand. And I think it'll, it goes a long way to changing people's kind of perceptions and ideas about people who might be from Iran and all of that. So, um, that's why it was my number one. What about for you? Um, so that was when I was reading Marzi, I was thinking a lot about this one. Um, and it was, you know, a very, I think one of the things I really love about graphic novels and the way that you can tell stories is that you can tell some really heartbreaking things in ways that you can't necessarily express in writing. And I felt like this was beautifully done and, and addressed some really uh, just just horrific issues mm. um, and the terror that might happen to somebody going through this, not just through, you know, she she's the, the main character in this this particular a graphic novel she's you know going through a lot of changes in addition to what's going on around her just you know because she's an adolescent and mm -hmm. growing up and um it really is um but but on top of that there's also some very light and humorous parts too yeah yeah so, and they do a very good job of balancing that um yeah. and it's just you know it's definitely not a light superhero read by any means but no, no. but i really enjoyed it but so. it's a it's a it's a balanced story and what you're talking about where it weaves in out of these darker moments and these kind of lighthearted moments. And, um, yeah, it's just a good story. Yeah. Um, so that means uh, our list is so wibbly wobbly. It is uh, strange. No. Um, <laughs> Are we on no your number, your and my number two? OK, um, so my number Thanks. two, my number two um, was. Watchmen. <laughs> I, I I thought you were going to say Watchmen, so I didn't put it on my list. That was probably smart. Um, which you know, my Watchmen is to your Batman, and you know how it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't think I need to say too much in terms of why I put it on the list. It's pretty obvious. The storyline is just reflecting a lot of societal questions and issues and um, debates about who's a hero, who's not. Can you trust the government? What's going on with the government? What was going on in the world at that time? And Alan Moore does this actually with a lot of his graphic novels. Um, v for Vendetta is another one. Um, he definitely does it in in Hellblazer. Um, and there are very specific things that he's reacting to within each of these books. Um, and I put Watchmen there. I could have put any of these there. And uh, if you have not yet read it, you should. Um, good pick. Yeah. 
it's it's also what I love about Watchmen is um, it's a deconstruction of comic books as well. It has meta commentary on what would it actually be like if we lived in a world where there were superheroes. If you had someone who was like a Superman character, um, would he have empathy for us? Um, and it, it dives into that, and it's um, it's it's a great um, great book, and it's also God. It, it has the comic within a comic <laughs> and there's it's it's um it's probably a masterpiece of graphic novels um it it's kind of like our um ulysses or something like that when it comes to comic books all right so oh so that leaves me with my number 2 cuz we both already spoke about our number 1s right well no you spoke about your number 1 i did not oh oh okay um my number 2 is Akira Volume 1. Um, so this is the original series has been reprinted a few years ago. So the original series ran in the uh, 80s and 90s, I believe. Um, and the reason I put Akira here is I did also want to make sure there's some representation in my top five of an international story, a story that's outside of America. And I realize some of our listeners might be outside of America, and international means a different thing. Um, but you know, there's been a fantastic contribution of um, manga um, when it comes to visual stories. And we, we talk about comics, and I think sometimes comics, people do include manga in that, and sometimes people don't. But there has been this great, um, great, hi- rich history of Japanese visual storytelling. And Akira is one of the best. Um, and it has a lot of the post-apocalyptic sci-fi type of social commentary out there um and it's got an ending that's not too different than watchmen in terms of like weird stuff happening um but it's uh it's beautifully redone it's been reprinted well it hasn't been redone but it's been reprinted and um kind of updated and released by dark horse so check it out if you haven't yet all right my number one unsurprisingly perhaps is the walking dead series um Mm -hmm. of and granted we are now up to um i am not even sure we are in the hundreds i think in terms of issues but um specifically i think i I would be talking maybe about the first um maybe the first four trades um but um basically there's just a ton of social commentary in how um the zombie apocalypse is affecting humans and they don't really talk about the cause of the zombie apocalypse, but they are talking about the interactions or the, the, the main thing is the interactions between the humans that are left. What makes you um, what makes you decent? What decisions make you human? What make you civilized? And this is an ongoing theme and you see it in the in the show as well. But I think it's sometimes a little bit more elegantly done within the graphic novel. You know. Conrad, this is why I'm really glad that we are co-hosts, because I am so embarrassed to admit that I completely forgot about The Walking Dead. <laughs> this is so stupid. Okay, well, recording- you know what? You know what? I do think that it's because so many people forget the graphic novels when they're because the show is just so in the forefront of everybody's minds, which totally makes sense. Well, and this is why it's so funny. Like right now, as we are recording this. The Walking Dead is about to air, the second to last episode of the season. I I spent this weekend 
writing an article about uh, the psychology behind last week's Walking Dead episode. Walking Dead has very much been on my mind, but I somehow totally neglected to put it on the top five. So I am so glad um, (laughs) I can rely on you to bail me out so that I don't make a complete uh, fool of myself. Well, I'm sure we will get a lot of flack or hopefully just just what other people think and love about these kinds of things in in our uh, from our listeners. And so I hope that's what happens. I'd like to hear what other people's top fives are for this particular subject. Absolutely. So did you have uh, any honorable mentions at all? Um, I did have one which would be Mouse. Um, yeah, yeah. And then there's also one called Bone. Um, which is pretty good, but I've been trying to limit my honorable mentions um, yeah, because I would honestly much rather hear suggestions from other people. And, and I actually really love to hear what other people think in terms of these kinds of things, because it means that I get a lot of new fodder to read. Hopefully, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have two as well. Uh, the Dark Knight Returns I already mentioned it. Um, it's really interesting to see an aging superhero yeah. and what happens to someone after they've retired and, uh, what happens to Bruce Wayne when he's trying to come back um, and some of the changes there. And my other honorable mention you already mentioned, which was V for Vendetta. Um, so mm. those are my honorable mentions. Uh, but we would love to hear from you. So please, um, you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Tweet us at Nerd Hour on Twitter. And Conrad, where can people contact you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter. I am Die Prince on Twitter and then on my other zombie related podcast. That is Reanimated Podcast. Uh, sorry, Reanimated PCast on Twitter. And uh, the website for that is um, reanimatedpodcast.com. And I am the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Alima2. Uh, and in l- just a little under a month, you can find me at WonderCon. I'll be presenting on the psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars Episode 3. That's not all of Star Trek versus Star Wars Episode 3. It's the third edition of our series. So uh, come out there if you, if you guys are going to be in Anaheim. And um, and I cannot wait to do the, uh, the whole... Uh sort of post-mortem when you get back that'll be a lot oh, of fun it'll be fun yeah we'll have to do that um and you better take uh, a lot of photos mister i will i will and you know i think we want to also just take a moment and thank you all um out there in the in the listener world uh this is our 10th episode it's um uh, it is it's a we're really excited it's our 10th episode and this is kind of a big um a big step for us and we it's been I mean, Conrad, we've had so much fun. We have. And we continue to have fun. So that's why we do it. So much of why this has been fun has been the community that's developed around Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. And we hope as we get into the future and we're in more double digit episodes to bring in different members of the community to talk about nerdy things. So uh, we look forward to boldly going with all of you as we move into double digits. Yes, thanks. Thank you for for being along this this long into the journey, and I hope everybody stays along for the rest of the ride. So, with that, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>